Welcome to Poetry Says everyone. I'm here today with Sean Wright. Sean grew up in the Northern Territory and currently works as a primary school teacher in South Australia. He's a regular contributor to Tincture Journal and his poems have appeared in In Daily Adelaide, Eureka Street, Blue Pepper, Rip Poetry Review and the anthologies The Stars Like Sand and Poetry in Place 2015. Hey Sean, how are you going? Oh, good, thanks, Alice. Uh, that sounds like a wonderful bio. <laughs> you wouldn't think I'd written it. It's sounds a good so, bio. So odd, just coming. <laughs> so it almost sounds like you're not speaking about me. <laughs> That's always good. That's always good. So you're in the middle of a very interesting project that I wanted to hear about. You've called it your Year of Poetry project. Tell us about the Year of Poetry and why you decided to do this and what's involved. Okay, so I've been sort of seriously writing poetry for about three three years, I think maybe three, four years, so um, writing with the intention of getting published in journals. And um, so I have been, in addition to doing my other sort of podcasting and book reviewing stuff, um, have been reading and reviewing um, poetry books. And I thought, you know, if you want to write good poetry, you've got to read good poetry. But what I was finding was that, okay, yes, I was reading and enjoying the poetry, but uh, it wasn't really stretching me or I, I didn't seem to be in any way that I could see at least um, gaining influences, not influences, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I couldn't see uh, any advancement in my work for having read more widely. And so I was, um, I've got a few writer friends, as you do when you're writing poetry, and uh, although I didn't uh, take them up on their offer in the end, they were running a program where um, you write and you reflect on your work, so sort of a bit of journaling involved, and that's the first time I'd come across that. So um, I did that for a, for a while, and then I thought, oh, actually, this will work really well for for my poetry so I sat down and thought okay I'll take a year off from all the um, other stuff that I've just mentioned doing so book reviewing and podcasting and I'll dedicate a year to poetry with you know with some fairly strict guidelines on what I'm going to be doing um, because I know if I don't set myself any guidelines it'd just be more of the same so um sat down read a few books on journaling and on sort of that reflective learning some some studies on you know what works best um, and sort of thought up this program where I would dedicate a you know a fairly big chunk of time uh, to writing uh, my own poetry studying reading other poets and and doing close reading and then reflecting and sort of doing that in a journal process so um, at the start of the year, I was working part-time. I'm now working full-time, so the hours have gone from like 18, 19 hours of this year of poetry project a week down to about four hours. But, um, yeah, that's that's why I started, and I'm, I'm finding that it's, you know, it's paying off. I've written about 40-odd poems this year, and I think I'm, I've had about... Ooh, f generated from this process about six poems, I think, that have been published this year, maybe five. So I'm certainly seeing some some benefits in my work from that. Yeah, I like I like the sound of it very much. It's 
similar to things that I've tried to do in the past myself where you put a structure around your writing time and your output for lack of a better word and I think to some people it probably sounds quite artificial and maybe too forced but what do you find are the advantages of doing it this way of having deadlines and tracking because I know you track the time almost down to the minute that you actually spend on this what are the positives of doing it that way rather than just waiting for the muse well what I've what I've found is that because I'm mapping it over such a long time and I go back and and sort of review my reflections what I what I've written over the past month that sort of thing I start to see these patterns of thoughts recurring so one one thing I find with with my work is I you know I expect to be able to write poetry great poetry the first, the first time the page the, the pen hits the page and it's you know the realization that that you know that is just not possible and that there are times that you go through where you might be writing and it's absolute rubbish but um you know then i, I call it peaks and troughs you know I, there'll be day days um even weeks there's a period of you know three or four weeks where i'm just writing what i think is you know rubbish and it's probably is it's not that that great but i'm continuing to write and then what i'll find is if i don't get so hard on myself usually something picks up and then two days i've written you know the start of two good poem drafts so what i found looking back over that process is that it's that my feelings are quite natural um as part of my process it's you know you know so don't basically i don't get as dejected when i'm not feeling good and I also try and really enjoy the times when when the poems are firing and realise that hey, this is this is a time to enjoy it. So, um, yeah. Do you think that answers the question? Or? Yeah, yeah. It sort of yeah. sounds. It reminds me a little bit of this talk that Ira Glass did quite a few years ago, and it's floating around on YouTube sometimes, and sometimes it disappears. And it's called "Working Through the Suck," and it's one of it's been one of the most influential pieces of um, one of the most influential discussions of creativity that I've ever heard. Essentially, he says, seven years in to doing this American life or doing the work that he does, he still felt like he sounded terrible. Um, And that's because he had the ability to appreciate what good work looked like. And that sounds very much like your situation. You're reading all this amazing poetry and reviewing it and seeing like the high of highs, but then you come back to your own work. And of course you expect it to be great when the pen hits the page because that's just natural. But yeah, you're kind of teaching yourself that actually you have to go on this quite long journey to get to that point. Um, so yeah, no, it sounds like a really valuable process. Yeah. And what I suppose what I'm finding is, um, I've also done for my teaching some, some, uh, new sort of, there's a new style of maths teaching that's coming out, um, based around different mindsets, like whether you've got a fixed mindset or a growth mindset in relation to maths. And it's, they're finding that, you know, if kids have a, a growth mindset when it comes to their maths, you know, almost any child can do well at maths. And what I've been trying to do is, you know, well, how does that work with my English? Because I think I've, I've always been quite good at English. 
<laughs> until until I got to a certain point when I went to university and everyone else was good at English too, and you know because you have this fixed mindset about oh well, I'm good at English, I don't necessarily need to work. Why why am I now having to work? Um, yeah, so I'm finding that I'm trying to change the way I approach writing. Um, that you know it is it is a skill. You know anyone can be a poet if they put the work in. Basically, is what I what I put it down to and I, I actually came across a, uh, an article written by William Stafford who's a, another poet that I like and he's you know he basically sa said the same thing about 30 years ago you've just you've got to write you've got to expect to write a lot of rubbish and um, you know and enjoy the writing process and uh, you know I think he ended up being one of America's most prolific poets so yeah that's that's um, that's what I'm getting out of it and what I'm finding is I'm less concerned now, probably about publication, but I get, I still get excited about it, obviously. But I'm not so worried about getting, you know, a first collection out as perhaps I was when I first started, and you know, trying to set goals. Um, just, no, I'm quite happy to enjoy the fact that I can have time to write. Yeah, yeah it's good when you can get to that point of realizing that actually the writing itself is the fun part. Um, getting accepted is also very, very fun, but yeah, it is good to enjoy the process as well. And I wanted to ask you about getting rejected as well, because obviously that happens to all of us. Um, what would you say to someone who is writing poetry, but too afraid to send it out because they're afraid of getting rejected? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think you, you've just, you have to get over that really. And I mean, I've got an artist in the family as well, and it's the same with art. You know, putting your art out there, you've got you've you've just got to put it out there and realise that, you know, it's not a when you get knocked back, it's not really a personal reflection. I think um, if if you're putting, you know, a good deal of effort into writing poetry, drafting, and you know, doing quite a lot of um, wide reading, I think you know, I st I still got knocked back you know about five or six poems from the publications I, I send into so it's not that I can't write poetry it's that you know that it doesn't fit in that particular particular time or yeah so I think you know you've got to get it out there and what I've found with my writing process is that um, because I've generally always got something else to be going on with I, I actually forget when, when I've sent out pieces so it's, it can be quite a uh, a good surprise when they get accepted because I've forgotten I've sent them out but also that you know if it comes back and it's rejected I go well mm, okay I'll send it out to another magazine maybe have a look at it maybe let it rest there for a while and have a think um, but yeah just keep going I think and and keep sending them out doesn't cost you anything usually so yeah yeah just keep moving through and you're right you do if you send out enough stuff you do tend to lose track a little bit of what you're waiting to hear back on so that can be quite helpful so the poet that you have brought to talk to us about today is Kay Ryan and okay. I was really excited when you mentioned Kay Ryan because I didn't actually think that anyone any Australian poets are really interested in her um, I first came across her work through a very lovely poem she wrote called Shark's Teeth, which is about silence and how difficult it is to find in a city. But the poem that you've brought to talk about today, I'm really glad to have your help with because I need some guidance on this one. 
it's kind of got me stumped. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll try. I'm, um, you know, these are poems; they're they're open to interpretation, so we'll, <laughs> we'll give it a we'll give it a crack. So, so, um, so what should people know about Kay Ryan, if anything, before we start in? Uh, okay, well, like I, I sort of did a few notes as to to why I like her work. I discovered her this year through um, my process of just basically um, following whatever you know, what sort of whatever poetry interest sort of came to mind. I think I heard her speaking on the the uh, Scottish Poetry Library podcast. She had an interview there, and I just thought, hmm, I like that. Looked her up and. Um, what I particularly like about her as a poet is that um, she's, uh, I think she took 20 years before she was published. So, you know, there's hope for me starting wow, I didn't late in know life. That. Okay. Yeah. So she's in her 70s now, I think. But um, yeah, I, I just like, because she doesn't, she doesn't seem to write as, you know, I don't know what 70 year olds write like really, but if they write like anything, but, you know, she's still got a vibrant poet, I think. Um, yeah, so I like the fact that, you know, she, she's persistent. <laughs> and um, what I like particularly about her work, I think, is that she uses um, simple language to carry complex ideas. I think the poem that we're, well, I'm going to read um, is... I went through and sort of tried to analyse it as, you know, mostly monosyllables, I think about 85, 90% monosyllables. But the the idea it's conveying is, you know, extremely powerful, I think. Um, so that's what I particularly like. I think she's probably similar to Frost in that way. And I love Frost. So, um, and I love, what I really like about her work is her use of rhyme um, in, a, in an age where, you know, rhymes are sort of, bit of a dirty word <laughs> I don't know um, I think she you know she she weaves sound I suppose really well into her work so it's not it's not all iambic pentameter and, and end rhyme but it's you know surprising little rhymes that, and even words that don't look like they rhyme half the time don't sound like they rhyme she seems to make them rhyme so um, yeah that, and the fact she's usually one poem to a to one page short short poems um, you know, sort of hitting you with with the idea in a short space um, is what I really like like about her. Yeah, they're really but, um, condensed. What, yeah, I, I think that's you know you can walk away and be thinking what what did she mean? You know, it, she leaves you something to to chew on. Whereas, yeah, I don't know. I, I just find it hard sometimes when um, I'm trying to think of a poet who I enjoy but who also uses language that. In a way that I I can't seem to to um, gel with, but um, yeah, if there's too much, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. I'm I'm trying to think of somebody whose work I I would not prefer, not because I can't write poetry, but um, yeah, because the use of language. Yeah, I no, I know exactly what you what you mean. There are poets who. You can admire the craft, you can admire the poetry, but not necessarily enjoy just because the vocabulary and language they're using just doesn't quite click with you. So I know what you mean. But yeah, let's let's hear this one and see if we can make some sense of it. Okay, so this is A Certain Kind of Eden by Kay Ryan. 
It seems like you could, but you can't go back and pull the roots and runners and replant. It's all too deep for that. You've overprized intention, have mistaken any bent you're given for control. You thought you chose the bean and chose the soil. You even thought you abandoned one or two gardens. But those things keep growing where we put them, if we put them at all. A certain kind of Eden holds us thrall. Even the one vine that tendrils out alone in time turns on its own impulse, twisting back down its upward course, a strong and then stronger rope, the greenest, saddest, strongest kind of hope. Hmm, I like that one. Yeah, I do like it a lot, um, but I'm looking forward to going a bit deeper into it. It's very much one of those ones where, yeah, the meaning is kind of embedded really deeply in there. It's, it's yeah, got that condensed sense to it. So I guess the one thing that I could pick out of it to start with is this theme of inevitability. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, I, 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 when I first read this, straight away, I, and I don't know if it's because I, I'm a big Frost fan, but I linked it sort of directly with um, the road not taken, and where you know the road for me, the road not taken is a bit of a a discussion about choice. I think I think a certain kind of Eden K. Ryan's a bit more in, emphatic about what she's saying about choice as opposed to Frost who's, who I think is sort of just holding a, an idea out there for us to consider I think so in terms of you're saying inevitability um, I think yeah I'd agree with that I think uh, Kay Ryan's perhaps saying there that um, we think we have choice but we actually don't and she's quite sort of direct <laughs> about that did you pick that up, or is that just an entirely different reading that I've, no, I've, I've had? Cause... No, I think the key line, one of the key lines is you've overpriced intention, have mistaken any bent you're given for control. I, I think she's saying you think your choice really matters and it doesn't. <laughs> all, all these things, is when I, you know, yeah. You, you thought you chose the bean and chose the soil. Hmm. Yeah. So, and I think with that reference to Eden, um, you know, a, a um, you know biblical utopia, we had everything under control, or we thought we had control, and we and we don't really. Uh, yeah. So that's what I I got out of that essentially. On its first reading. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when she says a certain kind of Eden holds us thrall, she's saying we prize this idea of this beautiful garden where everything's perfect but actually everything in that garden is doing its own thing and any control we think we have is actually an illusion yeah that's one way i suppose that i'd look at it but also i think you know a certain kind of eden I, I don't know if she's being too literal about the biblical eden or just sort of having that that in in your sort of mind as you're thinking about it. a certain kind of eden i thought you know, a certain type of paradise, I guess, is, you know, where we we think we have this choice and we, you know, that what we do matters to any great extent. Um, but, you know, that's a bit of a, a bit of a illusion, yeah. So, 
and even when we get down to even the one vine that tendrils out alone, so even even the person that strikes right out differently from what they, you know, they make a choice that's different from their normal pattern way of being, eventually, it, you know, you, you come back to what you what you know. Mm. Um, so in that, I mean, it's in some ways it's, despite being a really lovely poem, and I love the musicality of it, I think perhaps it's a <laughs> bit sad and depressing. Certainly not as not as um, hopeful as, as as Frost's Road Not Taken, I think, which is a bit more, mm, you know, where he's he's not entirely sure. He's perhaps a bit cynical. Um, I think Kay Ryan here is being perhaps quite direct. You know, we, uh, our choices don't matter much at all. We sort of it's, it all starts right back, and um, you know, it's all too deep for that. Yeah, so. it's all too deep for that. Yeah, it's a poem that seems to appeal to a lot of people. When I was looking it up, there are three readings on YouTube. There's a Yahoo Answers thread about it. There's a presentation someone's put together of a close reading. And there's this funny little comment on somebody's blog. Somebody says, been that gardener, been that tendril. <laughs> that was so good. Um, so it obviously really speaks to people. And yeah, talk about grappling with a massive theme in a condensed space like I don't really know how she's done so much in, in so little so few lines yeah it's one of those poems where I you know you get to the last line um and you've got that rhyme there and I just thought my goodness you know how, <laughs> how do you do that for a start but it's yeah, it's in some ways sneaks up on me I think um yeah there's simple language and um yeah, a complex, complex idea. Because I, I mean, this is the probably, I, I, I did my close reading of this right at the start of the year, and I'm going back and looking at it, and um, yeah, I, I still look at lines, and and it doesn't lose anything, you know, with that time intervening and and going on and learning more more about poetry. So, yeah, so I think that's. I mean, I'd be interested to go and check track down these other interpretations because I I thought, you know, I'm not going to go and look at what other people say because that can tend to colour colour your views. So, yeah, I, I might check that out after the podcast and, and see what these other people have said about it. Yeah, intrigued. Well, it's, yeah, it's like what you said at the start because she gives you a lot but she doesn't give you everything. Yeah, there's a lot in every single line and so that leaves you plenty of room to go off and make your own interpretations did she talk at all on the podcast that you were listening to about her writing process because i assume that she spends years on these little poems oh that's a fair while ago now right i remember but and my focus i suppose was probably more on on how she works in her rhyme um which I think is just natural to her now because she was talking about, she was reading a poem on that podcast and she she said she reads reads the poem differently every time she reads it and she'd found another rhyme that she'd put in there or a chime that, she, that was in there that she didn't know about. So I think possibly just the, the effect of writing for a long time, a long, long time. Um, and developing your own own style and voice, I suppose. But um, yeah, I I can't remember if she does go into the process. 
So it's just can't help happen. you with that one. No, that's okay. It's it's so the rhyme stuff is almost happening unconsciously for her now. I th- I think so, and I mean I try and do the same thing, but if I'm not careful, I end up sort of over rhyming and <laughs> and getting trapped in rhyming circles. Um, and she just seems to do it effortlessly. So yeah, that's why I find it is a real pleasure. Like I I, I went back through the the palm here and just echoes of sounds sort of join them all up and um yeah there's one here where 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 she says you even thought you abandoned one or two gardens but those things keep growing where we put them and you know this there's this really sort of soft chiming between abandoned and put them Mm. and i i and you know i don't know if i'm confident enough to say that she deliberately did that because there's a, a similar sound there not really a rhyme but yeah, that sort of E sound there coming in at the end. But, she, you know, I think all, thrall, alone, own. And, yeah, she's um, beautiful, just uh, musicality in the poem, I think. And that's what really gets me um, with most poetry is if it's if there's some melody in it, um, it'll it'll surely get me melody and, and simpler or a bit more spare words. Um, yeah, I, I really get gets me every time. Mm. Um I mean, I do like conceptual poetry too, and stuff that you sort of got to look at and go, oh, I get, I get what they're doing there. Um, yeah, but something that sort of grabs you and um, on some sort of almost subconscious level, I think, is what works for me. And that's that's been another thing with the 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 poetry process this year is just discovering all the poetry out there that's like nothing I've read before. Um, because I think there's a tendency uh, in Australia, you know, there's there's certain ways that people seem to write poetry, and if you don't like that, or if it doesn't grab you, then it can seem like you're not writing the right sort of poetry. If you get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it's good to read really widely because you realise that someone out there somewhere is actually doing what you want to do, and it kind of gives you this permission to just. Mm right in your own way you don't have to follow the set pattern yeah and i i probably like scottish poets uh, a lot for that reason they they tend to you know you know scottish accents you know, and um the 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 culture that's behind the the poetry is um i think probably a little bit more what's the right word for it I'm not going to say um, accessible. <laughs> but, you better not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That word is outlawed but, on this uh, podcast. <laughs> podcast. Okay. Um, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. I, I think, you know, I wouldn't describe Kate Ryan as, well, maybe she is accessible because I think anyone with sort of basic literacy skills can read that and go, I know what those words are and, you know, and work through it and I think she's quite clear in her like the meanings of the words not necessarily the meaning of the poem because I still go back and and I'm still scratching my head and thinking is she actually tra- talking about choice I'm pretty sure she is but you know yeah so I don't know I, I don't have a problem with accessible um, unless it's unless it's being used as code for something else I suppose yeah, well, let's let's get into this for a second because I think there'll be people listening who sort of go, uh, why is this word bothering you so much? Um, 
what what do you think it's sometimes code for? Well, first of all, who who uses that word as code for what? I guess is the question. Yeah, I suppose um, if you're looking at reviewers, and I, I can't pick any particular reviewer, but it's, um, it's because I've done reviewing of books for for a long time. I'm, I'm looking at the way I use language too, um, and I think accessible can. Uh, be code for you know not particularly um, I don't know, not well sought out but you know there's perhaps academic poetry and then there's poetry for non-academics you know that sort of sense um, whereas I think you know all poetry you know unless you're pitching to a certain audience um, wouldn't shouldn't all poetry be accessible <laughs> isn't that the idea that you're trying to get people to um, enjoy your words, um, you know, understand what you're saying. So um, I think perhaps it can be read as dumbed down, I suppose. Um, and, yeah, it could be used that way to, you know, sort of be a, oh, a bit of a backhander when, when you're trying to sort of tell academics that, uh, yes, you probably won't enjoy this because it's not... Um, conceptual enough or it's not um yeah it's not the ideas aren't complex whereas you know i'd say this poem by k ryan is accessible and the idea is extremely complex um yeah so i don't know if i've con confused myself a bit what i'm saying there but yeah i i just think it can be used by um perhaps mm, gatekeepers um self-appointed for to you know sort of quarter up the the um the community i mean yeah i mean i don't have much experience because i live in the middle of nowhere of actual poetry events but there's certainly in other writing circles there's um you know there's ways you can refer to work <laughs> that lets your in group know that no well that's not for me yeah so, yeah it's yeah. tough to talk about and i think the reason that we kind of circle around it is because you know we don't want to upset anyone it's like why would we we're all doing this thing that is so it's such a I don't know um Lisa Brockwell put it really well in the interview I did with her a couple of weeks ago she said it's like a knife fight in a phone booth like <laughs> everybody gets hurt when when we start fighting um but yeah I, I think um when I did the Coursera course, Modern and Contemporary American Poetry, Al Phil Reese explained this idea really, really well, I think. And I don't know if this is what he was aiming at, but this is how I understand it. He basically splits the poetry that he, he introduces into two categories, Whitmanian and Dickinsonian. And the Whitmanian is inclusive, democratic, and it's very much kind of there for you on the first reading. And then you've got the Dickinsonian, which mm. is a lot more in the K. Ryan school of the language might be simple, but if you think about a poem like Emily Dickinson's The Brain Within Its Groove, that poem absolutely is the definition of a curveball. You get to the end of it and you just go, what just happened? I have no idea mm. where I am. <laughs> I love it, but I'm so confused. And so the Dickinsonian school is, these are the poems that, you read them once, there's a sense of magic and intrigue, but you have to read them again and again and again. And the closer you read, 
the greater the payoff. And that's probably the case for all poetry. But yeah, so that's how I like to understand this perceived tension between accessibility and academic or conceptual or whatever you want to call it is mm. some poetry is there for you on the first go and some of it isn't. And there's just no point in saying one is better than the other. That's just completely missing the point there, I think. So mm. Mm. Yeah, that would yeah. be, those would be my thoughts on that oh, highly contentious I, I, issue. Oh, and I would agree. Um, yeah. There's enough, there's certainly, as I've discovered this year, there's enough poetry out there for anyone to find anything that they like out there. So there's enough good poetry, let alone stuff that's not that great. But uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a great variety of it out there. So I'd, I mean, I don't have a problem. I'd like to think I write accessible poetry. But yeah, I, I think I might change to, to um, your categorisation. Actually, I quite like that. Oh, he's 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 just such a champ. Love you, Al. You're amazing. Um, let's hear then the poem that you've brought along of your own, Black Snake Driving. So this was published in Blue Pepper a little bit earlier in the year. That's right. All right, uh, Black Snake Driving. We drive north to the next town, past fields of stubble, grey in the late summer heat. The road slows and stretches out, a long black snake basking in the morning sun. Straight, the light lulls us to a meditative state. Sheep so still, a quick glance sees them stone, small granite boulders nosing through the lee side of the hill. We drive north to escape the sense that standing still is one foot out of six beneath the ground. Roadsides littered with plaques that mark the resting place of towns half remembered in the double barreled names of the district football teams Premiers 06, 07, and 13. We drive north, the vista never seems to change, but ruined farmsteads claw up from the scrub. Each year sees them less above the ground than before limestone monuments forestalling the end of a dream. We drive north, and the next town feels like just like the one we left behind. Familiar looks in faces, resigned to settling down. Dusty streets, shriveled grass. Young children marched off to a school that bears family names on halls, fundraised playground sets, and clay brick memorials. We drive on and on that long black snake to feel it curve back upon itself. It's great to hear you read that. I can hear a lot of K. Ryan-esque internal rhyme, a lot of echoes between the lines that I didn't pick up on the first reading. So it's really good. And the thing that I love about this poem is there is no identifying markers. This could be any road trip from almost any point to any other mm. point. Yeah, it's obviously an Australian setting although I can't quite decide what it is that, that tells that to me. Maybe it's the title, Black Snake Driving. It sort of has these echoes of perhaps Black Snake Dreaming. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. what came yep. to me. Yeah, I don't, I'm just trying, I'm looking looking through for, for, for markers myself. Um, 
Yeah, I I mean, there's parts in the poem which are actually scenes that I, I drive past all the time um, that sort of pop out. Um, but, yeah, there's nothing there. And I suppose that was... I'll say that was deliberate. <clears throat> <laughs> well, maybe Premier's 06, 07 and 13, that is... That's pretty Australian there. Yeah, and you could probably even... Uh, no, I suppose outside of New South Wales, it's probably <laughs> you even know what sport they're playing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, it's an interesting one because I don't think I've actually written anything one that long since, um, and perhaps that, um, yeah, sort of um, open-ended on the end there. I think. Um, I'm getting a bit philosophical at the end, but, um, yeah, so I don't know if I've quite maintained that sort of approach. But, uh, yeah, I look, you know, when I've gone back over, you know, six months and looked at it and I've gone, oh, okay, I wrote that. <laughs> it's, nice, it's nice to have that feeling. You know, yeah, it's a of, good oh. feeling. Yeah, no, I think it needs that length for sure. Um, I don't think you would achieve that sense of the long road trip in in fewer lines necessarily so i think i think the length is really really good strength um there was one line i wanted to ask you about sheep so still a quick glance sees them stone i think that's a real high point in the poem did that come out like that the first time or did you work really hard on getting that couplet um if you can remember have, have we got if we've got time, oh, I don't, I've got about four notebooks, handwritten notebooks. So I'd have to, I'd have to look back and be able to tell you. I think it's it's quite early on that the image there is is certainly in the first writing of it from memory. But um, I, yeah, it's probably about five or six um, drafts in where I've I've got got it to to line up how <laughs> how it works. Um, yeah, because I think I, I, I remember having problems with all the S's. Sheep so still sees them stay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because and, I think it would be easy to write that couplet as sheep so still, a quick glance shows them stone, or quick glance sees them like stone. Mm. Uh, but you've just done exactly the same thing much better by cutting out all that unnecessary guff. Yeah, oh, that's another thing I. I sort of picked up from, I think it's Joe Bell, um, the Canal Poet, Poet Laureate in England. She just has a checklist that she goes through with her work and, you know, on how to pare down your poetry. And I've, I've sort of built that into my process. Um, so it often produces nice lines, you know, lines that I, I like, um, that, you know, are different, you know, cutting out your articles and then seeing what that does. So all, all part of the enjoyment of playing with playing with the words i think so it um yeah and i, I like that you mentioned <laughs> that it you know the the k ryan-esque element of of it i i'm presuming that i wrote it after i read her because i was um really keen to try and work melody bit of rhyme into my poetry without it sounding like it was you know elizabethan poetry which um because I studied it at uni, is quite I can quite easily sort of just slip into to writing that sort of faux 
faux Elizabethan poetry. Um, yeah. I think something I really wanted to ask you to end with, because you said you've only been writing for three years, is can you remember the point at which you started? And if you can talk about that in terms of if there's somebody out there listening who wants to start writing their own poetry but feels afraid or hesitant in some way, you know, how did you, how did you actually start the process? Uh, how do I answer this? Okay, initially I would have said it, it happened around about, you know, three years ago. Um, but I was thinking back over my um, writing life in the context of this this growth uh, mindset and thinking back to high school is when I probably started writing poetry and I reasonably successful had work in the end of school production um, but after that nothing until sort of university and even then that wasn't nothing that I published and then we get to three years ago and um, I'd always maintain this interest in the poets that I studied at school like Frost um, but a friends of mine were doing uh, this online uh, thing on Twitter and Facebook called uh, Post-it Note Poetry. And um, so it was um, Jody Cleghorn and Adam Byatt. And they, they just set it up. And the idea was that you write a short poem on a post-it note, you take a picture of it in, you know, with a background or setting that's sort of evocative of what's in the poem, and you just put it on Twitter. And there's absolutely no stress on it being good poetry, on it being really worked, and you had to do it for every day of February. And that really is what started me off because I thought, okay, can I do this for a start? Do I have the enough um, ideas? Can I go out and look at things and get ideas? And I found that I could, and then I found that process helped me get over the idea that uh, you, it's got to be perfect first time or it's got to be really good and um, did that, oh, I still do it now, every February we, we, we hold this uh, post-it note poetry on Twitter and Facebook and, yeah, it's um, a good chance to just write and not be too um, concerned whether or not it's high art or anything. So and I think that for somebody who's just starting out, you could do something like that, you know, get with some like-minded people and just produce stuff. And then I find that you you uh, become interested in learning more about poetry. You do more reading, and um, it goes on from there. I don't think we ever had any sort of negative feedback, which is surprising on social media. But um, yeah, so yeah, encourage them to do anything, do anything. Start small. Yeah, start um, small and start yeah. without expectation of perfection or even quality. Write something mm. terrible. Just do it now. I know you're out there listening. Pick up your notebook, write something awful, do it. <laughs> I'm more talking to myself, actually. Um, yeah, I think that's really that sounds really fun. And I, I just thought of it then, but the, the reason, I mean, I've, I've been blogging for ever since it's been around that you could sort of have your own blog, but with the year of poetry i wanted to try and be honest with my with myself and with readers and put work out there like my thoughts out there and, and admit when i you know i actually don't know 
when somebody's talking about an aspect of poetry to say, look, actually, I have no idea what they're saying or what they're meaning. Um, can somebody else tell me what it is they're saying? Um, because I find the otherwise, if if we don't have those examples there of people writing bad poetry, then writing better poetry, then getting published and doing that over a long period of time, people assume that poets just pop out and are naturally talented and you know, perfect from the get-go, and I think that's one of my main reasons for for having that on the blog. Whereas I could have just kept it in a journal. Um, so accountability, and maybe if I'm lucky, some inspiration for other people to take up the pen and do something. Yeah, yeah, being public about it. Well, where can people find more of your work and chat to you if they would like to? Oh, okay. Um, I'm at Sean D Bloggernaut on Twitter um, Sean Wright on Facebook but I suppose the blog which is sbwritepoet.blogspot.com.au beautiful um, yeah so yeah usually if I'm, I'm I'm in most places good stuff well thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me Sean yeah, pleasure thank you for having me on no worries and you can talk to me as always on Twitter at Poetry Says and find more episodes at poetrysays.com.